Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. We're looking at July 19, 2018. It's 8.59 here in the Eastern Time Zone in the United States. Sorry I wasn't with you guys yesterday to repair the cell towers, but I had no signal all day. But, uh, I mean, it's sometimes there's trouble calling in from the rural areas, but it sure is nice that I can go outside and shoot my rifle at anything that's prowling around in my yard, and everybody in the neighborhood does the same thing. So we're well protected here, and when the uh, the the proverbial uh, poopy hits the paddle fans, we're going to be all just fine. So uh, Dr. Hill should be with us this morning, and Jason Kessler is going to call in and give us an update of what's going on up there in uh, Unite the Ride 2. Uh, so, Dr. Hill, are you there? Jason, are you there? I don't see Dr. Hill. I got his number saved. What area code is Jason? Oh, geez, I don't even know. I just programmed into my phone. To, he may call in a little bit late. But he usually gets, uh, he usually lets the show start and he calls in. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. So, we're moving along. The anti-Antifa bill is going, making its way through the Congress. I hope it gets through and signed so these thugs can be put in their proper place. I mean, you know, Antifa, all you guys out there, uh, Kelly Wheel, you know, all you people out there doing what you're doing, you are recreating the same scenario that existed in Germany in 1920s. You are recreating the same problems that had to be resisted by people that didn't want to be communists. You know, I was sitting back this morning, actually not sitting back, just just before I woke up, I guess. That's supposed to be the best time for your subconscious mind to work, just before you wake up and just before you go to sleep. And I'm thinking, you know, in in the 1960s, people in the United States enlisted in the military and went to a place called Vietnam to stop the spread of communism. Over 56,000 American men and women died in Vietnam to stop the spread of communism. And voila, here we are living in the United States today, and communism is emerging in the voice of Maxine Waters, Hillary Clinton, Nancy Pelosi, Dianne Feinstein, Chuck Schumer, communists all, Antifa, communists. You communists are, are responsible for the deaths of all these people around the world. Millions upon millions, hundreds of millions of people have been killed in the hands of communism. And you want to bring that to my country? You want to put up a billboard in Tacoma, Washington that says there's a bad element in your neighborhood and the reason you consider them to be a bad element is because they put stickers out and posters out that said, Make America American Again? Somehow that's KKK, supremacist, everything you can call it, the N-word, the anti-white N-word. We're sick of it. We're sick of it. We're going to extricate ourselves from this system, and you're not going to be able to bleed us dry anymore. Sorry for the tirade, but I guess I was all worked up because I wasn't on the show no, yesterday. I like all, that. You know, that's the reality of it. Think about it. With all it is. Of, Eric, Korea. You're, you're Korea was pretty for, good. Yes, to stop the spread of communism. And right now we're at communists. The more we go along, they want to give free college education why? In, in studies like diversity training, they have University of Michigan has 100 full-time employees, over 100 full-time employees, that are in a diversity department. Now, how does that get the space shuttle off the launch pad? How does that make your car run any better? How does that advance any technology? How can we save energy when we're all spending millions of dollars, I'll bet, on this diversity training stuff that does nothing for no one? except cause trouble. This is all what a sick, demented, and it's not just here. It's the whole world. The whole white world is getting pushed back into the corner. You know, and another thing I was watching last night, I was watching a documentary about Muhammad Ali. You know, Muhammad Ali, I always liked the guy for some reason, because I'm kind of cocky myself, especially when I was in high school, when he first started out. You know, he resisted the war. 
He wouldn't go. Because he said, those people never did anything to me. Those people never called me the anti-black N-word. They, they never did that. Why should I go and kill them? 56,000 American people, I'm with Jesse Ventura on this one, what a waste of life. What a waste of money. And what do we get? Nothing. And now there are allies again. I mean, it sounds like 1984 all over again. Deja vu. I mean, come on, give me a break. We got people monitoring what we're saying on the phone. We got people telling you you can't have a job because you, you put up a, a banner. You, you, you're getting kicked out in the military because you got a Confederate flag tattoo on your arm. This is sick stuff. Why do we even need a military? We don't need a military. Our borders are wide open. These people can just come on right in any time they want. So if we had a, a million Chinese in, in landing craft and they didn't have guns, oh, and they brought their children, and, and they landed on the beaches of, uh, you know, California, I guess they're just allowed to walk right in, right? Military-age men, a couple kids in tow, wife with them, maybe out of 100 people, there would be three or four women and children, the rest are military-age. What do we need a military for? Let's save that money so kids can go to school for free. Back to you, Robert. Right. <laughs> let's, let's turn on the Q&A, which allows people to hit star six. If Jason Jason's out there, Doctor, I know Dr. Hill's number, but... He needs to hit star six so we can get him on. Um, I see some numbers here look familiar, but I don't see Dr. Hill. I think I muted somebody here. All right, sorry. How'd you mute it, Father Francis? Uh, Doctor Hill is probably going somewhere tomorrow. That's why he can't be on tomorrow. And maybe he's getting ready to go. I mean, you know, he's 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 really active. He's definitely active, and they're always out there on the street. Our boys here, they, these guys are always on the streets. We are putting together a distribution system. We are finding out stuff. We're putting money on people in people's pockets because they're working, we're finding jobs. You know, I started now looking into other farmers. I don't think I'm going to be able to supply the needs of the white community with the, with the livestock that I raise. So I've already reached out to three other farmers. we got this thing wired. We're going to have, we're going to have a meeting here, and we're going to be discussing this, this the ways that we can supply our own needs. we got one group that's growing fruits and vegetables. we got, I'm, I'm raising... Uh, cattle and sheep. Uh, there's other people around. They're just regular people. They're not white nationalists. They just live around here, and they're all pro-white. You know, they just you know why you can tell they're pro-white because they're honest. If they say they're going to do something, they do it, and if they promise to do something, they're going to keep their promise. They don't even have to lock their doors because nobody's going to steal from anybody around here. That's just the way it is. We don't have to. We don't even need uh, United Right Two here. I mean. The right is united here right now. I think there's 60,000 people in this county, and I bet you they all think the same way, including the black people. Nice, hard-working, good, decent people that have integral families, and they go to church every Sunday. We got this, I am so lucky to live here. I'm blessed to be able to live here. Thank you, Lord. So, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, it's getting so bad. I read things on this Internet that are just absolutely crazy. I don't know if I related it on this show, but I watched a Matlock TV show that came from 1987. And there was an FBI witness protection program put together to protect this guy that they were trying to get information on a drug lord. Well, the guy's wife, they plant a dead body in the guy's house. They burn it down. They accused the wife of doing the killing. They, they got the guy in the witness protection program. They don't come forward and say, look, you know, we got this guy. He's not dead. The woman is going to go on trial, and, and Matlock is, is saying to the guy, you know, you work for the FBI. No, you're in the witness protection program. That's a lie. 10, 20 straight-faced lies, just like Hillary. It's in 1987, remember. 
And then the FBI guy said, do you know what you're doing? Do you know how many people's lives you're endangering by exposing what we're doing? Do you know that you're blowing years of undercover work? And Matlock turns around and he says, and he looks the guy dead in the eye with a mean, stern look. I've never seen that out of Andy Griffith before. And he says, yeah, I know exactly what I'm doing. It's people like you that do things like this, to take individuals' rights away that are going to be the downfall of this country. Well, you think you're saving the country and you're actually destroying the country. Peter Strzok, Mueller, all you bums out there. This is the deep state war. It's been going on since 1987. And one of our callers says the, deep, the, the, the turning point, the real emergence of the deep state happened in November of 1963 when the CIA and George Bush Sr. and Johnson all conspired to kill John F. Kennedy. That's how bad this thing is, and, this how, and it's been here for a long time. Praise the Lord that Donald Trump exposed all of this. Whatever else he does or doesn't do, he exposed the fake news, he exposed the deep state, and he's prepared us to go to battle against these people and warned us, basically rang the gong, saying, wake up, America! And that's really where we're at right now. I think everybody's catching on. We're in a war right now. We're in a war where people are getting killed. We're in a war where people are getting beaten in the streets. We're in a war when our public officials are being harassed and kicked out of restaurants. We're in a war where, where a big, muscular guy grabs a hat off a little teenage kid and throws a cup of ice and drink in his face and walks away. That's a, we're in a war. Get it. Get a grip. Yeah. Please. Um. I got I got the air code for Charlottesville as four three four. So let's try one of these numbers. See see who this is. Air code four three four. Good morning, Jason. Good morning. Jason? That's you. Good to be with you on your new program. Hey, welcome. Yeah, Jason. Give give us an update. I mean, I think you know things are happening. Things are moving forward up there. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'll let you give the update because I don't know what you don't want to say and you do want to say. So you go on ahead, buddy. Appreciate you coming on. Sure. Yeah. So we're still playing the night the right to. The situation is uh, I was the last one to sign this consent decree, which um, other groups like League of the South had signed earlier. Uh, at the end of the day, it just came down to the fact that uh, we've got other uses for attorneys and and for money. And uh, so this consent decree says that I won't organize people to carry sticks or shields at uh, any events in Charlottesville. But it's kind of uh, a moot point anyway because I wasn't planning to do that. Um, if there is a Charlottesville rally, we're going to find out on uh, the 24th of this month. At 2 p.m., we're going to have a preliminary injunction motion, which is a similar thing to what happened on August 11th, just one night before the original Unite the Right and they'll make that decision. Uh, we'll probably do a much smaller event in Charlottesville just because we haven't had time to really create safety plans for a large group. The Charlottesville police have been barred by the Charlottesville attorneys from talking to me, and uh, it's really been eerily, rep uh, eerily similar to last year uh, in, in the way that they, they weren't, wouldn't talk to me about how to create a plan until very, very close to the event. I have been working with the Virginia State Police, and so uh, if there's a, a small demonstration in Charlottesville just for the sake of the First Amendment, then we'll work with them rather than Charlottesville Police because, um, to be honest, they just can't be trusted. The main focus, though, is the Washington, D.C. rally in front of the White House, and I'm feeling very good about that one. We have a lot of different law enforcement that are being involved, and they're integrated. So you have the Washington, D.C. police working with the Metro Transit police, working with the Secret Service, working with the National Park Service. And, um, and that's just because there's so many different regions in D.C. And what we're, what we're looking to do is we'll probably have a meetup point for folks, maybe around 3 p.m. on August 12th and that's going to be in uh, northern Virginia, we'll shuttle people in to, uh, to a nearby area to the White House, and we'll have a 
a little parade march across Pennsylvania Avenue to Lafayette Square right in front of the White House, and we'll be able to address President Trump. I'm sure he will be listening to what we have to say, and we could talk about not only the civil rights abuse that happened in Charlottesville last year that led to the violence and chaos that it's become famous for, but we can also talk about why it is that white people need civil rights right now why it is that we need our own organizations to represent us like black people have the NAACP or, you know, Jewish people have the ADL or whatever. White people, you know, we're scheduled to become a minority in our own countries, you know, in the United States and Europe by 2050. And if that's not enough, I mean, you look at how they're taking away our culture from us, telling us we can't be proud of our heroes and the monuments to their memory have to come down, you know, taking away our music and giving us the music of a, a different type of people, you know, or, you know, taking away our religion, you know, not literally, but, you know, it's, it's discouraged within the media. So white people right now are really in a spiritual crisis where they don't know what to believe in. They don't know what to be proud of. You see it in the falling life expectancy, the suicide rate, the drug addiction rate, and uh, I, I think that if, if the cultural gatekeepers, the people who are in control of this country, want to stop the violence in the streets, the only way they got to do it is they got to give white people some power back, and they need to do it fast. And that's what the rally is going to be about. Well, that, exactly, and and. And that's it's very important that we we address this right now. I mean, these are the same things that happened, as I said, to open up the show. This was happening in in Germany in the 1920s. The the people were being pushed aside. The the, the residents, the 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 original people from Germany, that never had slaves, by the way. Uh, so they don't have to be doing anything to repay for slavery. Those people were being taken out. Their homes were being taken away. Their finances were out of control, just like ours are right now. The media was lying. Everybody was lying. The politicians were corrupt. You know, it, it, jobs were being lost. And that, that created, these people spawned the National Socialist Movement in Germany. They spawned it by their activities. And it's exactly what's happening now. These Antifa are the same people that were in Germany in 1920. It's the same people. It's nothing new. Well, I would also say that it's very similar to the civil rights movement of black people back in the 1960s in this country. And I think that it's an an interesting and necessary parallel to make because after the violence that happened in Charlottesville last year, you've seen a lot of censorship. You've seen a lot of condemnation of white people. Um... Even before then, whenever there's a school shooting, if, even if the person's Hispanic or Jewish, but they look kind of white, they'll say there's a problem with white men. And yep. they've they just really pathologized us, right? Uh, but, you know, black people weren't all this kumbaya stuff in the 1960s. You know, even Martin Luther King was courting violence. Uh, Black Lives Matter today has been involved in the shooting of a number of police officers. There are even more people murdered. The Black Panthers back in the 1960s were starting riots, were killing police officers. So uh, even if we have our violent elements here and there, you know, we are very much uh, in keeping with the tradition of uh, racial protest sometimes uh, turning violent within the country. And the way that you tone that down is they got to start giving white people some of our rights back. They need to give us our self-respect back, and they need to give us the ability to uh, fight for our jobs, take away these uh, discriminatory affirmative action policies. Uh, when, when our kids go to school and they tell them that you got to be ashamed of who you are, all of your ancestors are racist, rapist, slave master, whatever, we should be able to fight back. There should be curriculum which tells pro-white point of view. These are things that we're going to have to fight for through uh, advocacy groups, and we need that fast and we need it now because it is making our people sick to hear negative, terrible things about themselves all day, every day in school. 
Exactly. This is what's happening all the time. And unity is going to be the key. And, you know, I, this, this show gives us a lot of advantages. Unite the Right will be broadcast live on this same bat station and this same bat channel, and we will be, I will be broadcasting it live from Washington, D.C., right through this radio show. Anybody out there that wants to be a Stormfront Action journalist, radio journalist, contact Copperhead on, on Stormfront. We will make arrangements, and, we, and you guys can call in from wherever you are. And we are encouraging wholeheartedly that everybody that hears this message, and it's been broadcast on several other shows as well, on the nights of Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, on the weekend of August 12th, I, we were asking everybody, if you can't make the meeting, get a tiki torch, light it up, and burn it in your front yard. If you're afraid of that, get, get a bunch of people together and go to a local monument and do a tiki, tiki torch parade in support of what's going to happen in Washington, D.C. And some people are gun-shy of Unite the Right because of what happened last year, but there's other great speakers that Jason has lined up, and, you, you know, those that decline, well, that's okay. I mean, if you feel like it's dangerous or something like that, then you shouldn't go. But I'm not – I'm a 71-year-old, five foot three old man, and I'm going, and I'm not afraid of any danger that might be there. Uh, I, I think I'm going to be protected by divine uh, intervention. Back to you, Jason. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's going to be locked down by the police this time. I don't think that uh, anybody wants what happened last year to happen again, even the Charlottesville police. But like I said, I'm not saying I trust them for that aspect of it. But, uh, you know, I've tried to be as transparent as possible with law enforcement. Uh, I've I've changed my vibe on this thing a lot to uh, try and have a calming influence as much as possible. And I want people to know that this is not the same as some of these other protests that you see out there. Uh, I mean, you think, see things get rowdy, not just in Charlottesville, but in Berkeley and Portland and all over. But I am working really, really hard on this plan with law enforcement that we can keep the Antifa separate. I mean, you're still going to hear them. Uh, there might be points where they get close enough to, to shout at you or, uh, worst case, they might be able to throw something. Uh, and that, that sucks, but they're, they're not going to get close enough to do any more than that, uh, as far as I'm aware. Um, and, uh, and that's important because we really got to keep it peaceful this year to show, look, pro-white people are not inherently violent, number one. And number two... We have something important to say, and now it's been over a year that it has been gestating, waiting to get to the American public, and it's only become more important by the political prosecutions that have happened in the city of Charlottesville, by the shredding of the First Amendment that happened in Charlottesville, and all of this fake news narrative that has tried to sweep all the convenient facts uh, that supported President Trump's both sides uh, assertion under the rug. And it's even more than that. It's not just both sides. Of course, two sides that hate each other are going to fight if um, law enforcement isn't there to keep them separated. That's the key issue, is that it really isn't about uh, the, the alt-right or pro-white people. It's not even about Antifa, to be honest. Uh, they were, they're always up to their same shenanigans. But when the city government are essentially Antifa, and the police work for them, and they just stand aside to give these people what they want, which is uh, to get their hands on us, and then they prosecute us when we fight back. That's, that's really messed up. And then they really they put their own supporters into a meat grinder. Because, I, look, I'm not going to try and be tough or edgy. It's a tragedy that Heather Heyer died. And she shouldn't have died, and she wouldn't have died if the Charlottesville police had done their jobs. Because I guarantee you, whatever was, I don't know what was going on in the mind of uh, James Fields uh, at the time of that incident, but I don't think he came to the city looking to do what he did. How could he? The police were supposed to have that street closed down before they abandoned it, moved their cars, and opened up the street uh, where there was pedestrian traffic. So these are things that need to be brought to the American public. They need to be asking hard questions about that city government 
which has been bolstered by these national groups and all these lawyers to hide the simple truth of the civil rights abuse that happened in Charlottesville. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it, it is it's – it, I don't really know the, what happened up there as far as the defense of, of uh, my buddy Jacob, but I don't know why the police chief wasn't on the witness stand, and I don't know why the police officers heard him make the statement, let him fight, it'll be easier for us to close down the rally, weren't on the witness stand. They may have been denied by the court. It may have been an oversight. I don't know. But – you know, I do know, I've done some legal research, and I found out that we have some very, very strong case law support to that I think can really work in the sentencing that's going to be coming up in September. And I will be relaying that information the best I can through to Jacob's lawyer, and, you know, I hope that the, the legal research that I'm doing is going to help out. Uh, Jason and I have discussed the fact that Lawyers are expensive, but there are other ways to do your own legal work. There's, there's books of forms. You can go to university libraries, and you can get forms to fill out to file your own complaint. You can serve your own subpoenas. I've done it before. I know it works. And then you, what you do, you put the fear of God in these people. And I went and served these subpoenas for every sheriff's officer that was at the scene where I was brutally attacked by the police and lied about. They stole things from me. The police department stole about $1,000 worth of things out of my van when they searched it, all because there, were, uh, there was a, a discussion that, that they wanted to have with me, and I was concerned about a woman that I thought was being plagued by our neighbors, and I was there to help her. They wouldn't let me help her, and then when I asked her to go back in the house, they arrested me, threw me against the car, hands on the hood, tried to slam my head into the hood of the car, Fortunately, I turned my nose away so I didn't get a broken nose. This is what's happening in the country today. Well, that was, that was in 1999. So, you know, from 99, it was already initiated. But, it, but it's getting worse. I mean, it's happening so fast. Six years ago when I was arrested in Chicago, I, I didn't even have an address. I lived on a boat in Florida. Jacob and the boys in Charlottesville were denied bail because they didn't live in Virginia. Chicago, they gave me bail, and I didn't even have an address. So in six years, it went from pretty lenient treatment to give somebody bond. It was only, I was attacked, and they were charging me with some bogus gun charge. It really, I didn't, hadn't done anything wrong. But they still gave me bail. I still carried a three- to 14-year prison sentence if I was convicted. And you know, because I'm white and I'm pro-white, I'm a target, and we are targets. That's why we have to be so very careful what we do and don't, and, and don't give them an opportunity. It's like going to, through a stop sign at a roll. You're not using your turn signal. Don't give these people an opportunity to pull you over and work you over. Yeah, it, yeah it, I mean, it, absolutely. When you become an activist for white rights, you're going to see the judiciary and law enforcement become politicized, especially that judiciary, though. And in your normal life, if you're out driving and you might get a speeding ticket, the cop will let you go. Well, it's not going to go that way when you're a pro-white advocate, you know, and you're known for that. If you go into court, maybe you uh, got into a fight at a demonstration or something. If you're on the wrong side of that political equation and the judge and the community doesn't like you, I mean, the hammer is going to come down. So you're absolutely right. You have to be very careful. I mean, I've lived most of my life as an anonymous person, just, you know, a normal, you know, whatever, somebody who's not in the paper. And people leave you alone for the most part. Nobody is like overly concerned with, uh, using every single law in the book to harass you and make your life miserable. Well, since Unite the Right, and even before then, when I exposed Wes Bellamy's tweets, uh, it's like I'm learning new laws exist that I never heard of before. Laws that the cops never heard of before are being used against me to harass me, to try and sue me, to try and put me in jail. And so if you're going to get into this fight, what you've got to learn is, number one, you've got to st be careful. You've got to stay within the law. 
So how do you fight back when your hands are tied by the law? Well, you've got to learn the law yourself. It's just like you were saying, Frank, when you get into this fight and you're in it, uh, if you neglect learning the law, it's like driving your truck around and not putting oil in that engine. Eventually that engine is going to seize up and just, you know, go to hell. You, you've got to just study the codes, see what is civilly actionable. If these Antifa are harassing you, uh, harassing your family, trying to make you lose your job or whatever, there are remedies for that, and you've got to fight back against these people. And then it, there are criminal things as well, and we need to know those, and we need to learn how to file documents. I'd be happy to have a conversation with anybody who is in a situation where they think they need to use the law to fight back against uh, intimidation and harassment. We, we, we really should have a show where people go into that. That's, that's an excellent idea. This, you see, the, the big advantage with this show is we can, have, we can be on any time we want. We can go over the hour out of courtesy for Don Black and David Duke and the, the Rents Radio Network. We'll stick in our spot that we were at because we want to leave them the opportunity to, to have their voices heard. And so that's the only reason we don't run past the 10.05 mark because then Don's coming on. And I'm out of the way. We're out of the way for that. But we don't have a show once. The only show we have on Saturday is Farron's show. So now we can put this show on any time we want. So if there's an event, we will have broadcasters. We will have reporters at those events, and we will be reporting live. I would love to have a bunch of people with videography equipment to come and be at, at Unite the Right 2. Even if you don't even want to go into the rally, get the video. We need video of these animals. And you know, you said before, Jason, that, that maybe uh, if, if the police did their job, there wouldn't have been a problem. You know, if Antifa would have stayed on their side of the street and there wasn't one police officer present, uh, none of the white people would have went over there and attacked them. None of the people that were there to protest at taking down a General Lee statue would have attacked these other counter-protesters. They started the violence, not us. We were just ready to go. I'm, a, I'm an old guy. I was just going to go there and, and stand there and stand in front of the statue and listen to the speakers and show my support. You know, I noticed that Stonewall Jackson statue is right across the street from the courthouse. That's still there. Why isn't that an issue? You know, I mean, you, you, people don't even... You know, Stonewall Jackson uh, illegally trained his, his black uh, servants, they called them, uh, to read so that they could go to church. It was against the law for him to teach him to read, but he did it anyway. So don't try and say this guy was some sort of a bad guy. You think the people in the South, the black people in the South in 1850, had it any better, any worse rather, than the Irish people in, in New York City and Boston who were freezing to death and sellers didn't have enough food to eat? These black people had homes, clothing, food, medical care, all provided for them by the owners of the plantation. They didn't have it so rough. They're just bleeping and crying as if they had, it was the end of the world for them. White people had it just as bad. I'm Irish, you know, we've paid our dues. The Italians are probably the last group to come into this country that had to bake their own way. Everything after the Italians, coming up to, that was in the 20s, coming into the 30s, they started giving the money away. And now you were getting, now they're paying for your trip. They're putting you in a home. They're giving you Social Security, even though you don't even know how to speak English. You never lived here in your life to contribute to Social Security. Wake up, everybody. Don't you see this? Everything that our parents and grandparents and forefathers built for us is being wrenched out of our hands and given away to people that, that don't deserve it. It doesn't belong to them. It belongs to me. It belongs to Brother Carl, the black Muslim guy whose family's been here since the 1700s. It belongs to the American Indians and the Cherokees and the Algonquins that were in this country. It's their stuff. It doesn't belong to a bunch of Somalis that just got here that can't, don't even have the ability to earn a living. What kind of sick, stupid stuff are we doing? I'm on a rant today, I guess. I have, I'm sorry. Jason, can yeah, you name I mean, the, these... These communist professors really want to uh, turn the monuments issue and our, the history of European Americans into a very one-sided and wrong-headed 
argument. They want to make it about slavery. Oh, well, uh, these uh, Americans are supporting Stonewall Jackson uh, and Robert E. Lee and Thomas Jefferson because they had slaves. No, no, we're not. That is just something that they happened to have at that time. A lot of rich people had at that time. But that I don't know anybody who's arguing for these monuments because they want to bring slavery back. I mean, in fact, most of the people are denouncing slavery and saying, hey, these guys weren't really as supportive of that institution as you think. Uh, I mean, white Americans are the ones who ended slavery first in the entire world. I mean, it's still going on in parts of Africa. Why is it that we're being blamed for something that we took an active step to end in this country? Exactly. Exactly. And, and for sure, I mean, and even, even in the Constitution, the Confederacy, they banned the importation of slaves. It was not going to be allowed to happen anymore. So, so you know, did, did some people sneak slaves in after the ban? Of course, there's people smuggling cocaine into the country today. What are we talking about? You got Mexicans smuggling themselves into the country today. Give me a break. Mm-hmm. What a bunch of hogwash and malarkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there well, anybody yeah, Robert, that's had any specific questions for Jason that may, he may we have, be we have, uh, we have two callers you, Jason you want to let these guys on to see if they got something they want to ask you sure okay let's do it Robert I'll, okay this one is somebody on a VoIP call Is goes by E are you there E Mr. E or Mrs. E Uh, well, not. maybe maybe they waited, put the phone down, or it's not really working. So we got Patrick. I know Patrick. Tim yeah. Um, Patrick. Yeah. I uh, like what Jason said there about um, it's time to start uh, learning the law. Um, yeah, we've uh, been had a harsh time. We declared our independence of England in 1776. I was reading where the Irish or the IRA was formed. Uh, they, they, they're people who just shot, shot dead in the street just for sport. And uh, they, uh, they would burn down uh, churches or even villages. Anybody that was uh, would put up a, a defense against the, uh, the English um, usurpation of their country. Uh, and uh, it's uh, and the IRA declared their independence. And uh, the people, uh, when they set up their own government, and the people would only go to their Irish courts. They wouldn't. They, they boycotted all the English courts. But uh, the English were pretty ruthless back in the 1950s. Uh, they, uh, you know, they had a harsh law. If you couldn't afford a marriage certificate, uh, they would take your child as a ward of the state. And uh, when if you worked in a in a in a village. You had to work in the local sweatshop, and it was. Uh, we have no idea how harsh they had it back then. Once you start controlling laws, you start writing your own laws. There's no limit, you know. And that's all I got to say. Yeah, have a good day. Do we have E with us, uh, Robert? Or did we lose E? Uh, no, dropped off. Uh, about the Irish, the Irish built the canals here. In South Carolina and Georgia, and it was so hard on them. Some of them just died while they were doing digging, and they just threw their bodies in the in the dirt and covered them up. Yep. And, that, and anything. One of the books I read said that anything that was. Remember, just just think of it in this way: if you go out and rent a car, and you own a very similar car. Which car do you take better care of, the one you owned or the one you rent? You know you're going to value the one that you own more than the one you rent. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to take care of it. You don't have to maintain it. It's the same thing with these people. When the jobs were too difficult, specifically the canal systems that you're talking about, and too dangerous, they wouldn't risk the people that they owned. They just rented people, and those rented people were Irish. And those rented people did all the dangerous and dirty work that nobody wanted to endanger their own workers to do. 
So that's how bad it was. And on white people that were really poor, they were enslaved by finances. You know, they could go anywhere they wanted, but they couldn't because they had no way to go. They had no money. They had no food. They didn't have anything. They didn't have any NGOs that were feeding them along the way as they walked from New York City to someplace out west, the farmstead. They didn't have people, NGOs, putting them on boats and bringing them to America. They didn't have that. In the 1920s, early 20s, uh, a friend of mine's grandfather was smuggled out of Ireland. He was in the IRA in 1921, Michael Collendera, smuggled into the United States, missed the first boat, got on the second boat, and the first boat was sent back to Ireland because people on the boat had tuberculosis. Now you can come in here with any disease you want. You can come out in here without even being checked whether or not you have a disease. And that's just okay with the baby Jesus, but it's not okay for the Irish people in 1921. That's the 20th century, ladies and gentlemen. And, and, and all this talk about American tradition, traditional values, Traditional values were to defend the country. There were strict quotas in place to allow the country to maintain its cultural values, its integrity, its racial purity that it had of the people that built the country. And it also included, as time went on, the 14th Amendment after the war, when the, the, the slaves were released, they were given citizenship and they were allowed to vote too. Many of them had families that came here all of them had families that came here before 1808 because that's when slavery was stopped. Or the, no, I'm sorry, the importation of slaves was stopped. So and there were sure, were there any smugglers? Yep, just like there is today with cocaine, marijuana, whatever else you want to name. And people. Back to you guys. Okay, anybody else want to speak? Uh, star six on your phone or if you're... If you're on the VoIP call, you'll have to hit star six there, too. I think there's a way to request. And, uh, Jason, do, would you want to mention some of the speakers that are going to be here at, at uh, United to Write Two? I'm uh, mostly still keeping them uh, a secret at this time, but we got we got good speakers, trust me. Yeah, I, I, you and I talked about some of them. Yeah, I think it's probably wise, because otherwise they're going to be doxxed. It, it, or harassed or whatever, you know. I just would prefer not to put them through that. It's better just to leave as much uh, a surprise as possible. One young man just just came on board up here, and uh, he's he's like 20 years old. And I'm taking him around, showing him, you know, different places around town, where to shop, that kind of stuff. And people are asking me questions about Charlottesville. And, and, you know, after about the third time, he said, I can't believe that you can openly discuss this here and nobody gets upset. In fact, they're right in your corner. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the way it is around here. One young girl heard me talking to somebody on the phone about Charlottesville maybe a couple weeks after last year, and she said, were you at Charlottesville? I said, yeah. She says, how cool is that? Because mm-hmm. they get it. You know, people around here, we're close enough to Knoxville to know that there's bad neighborhoods, but we're far enough to not from Knoxville that we, we know enough to where not to go, where to go. You know what you can do around here to live. I mean, I, I got a call of, uh, uh, from one of my neighbors who lives about a half a mile down the road from me on the dirt road, and he said, are you all right down there? I said, yeah. He said, some guy just went by here. And uh, he's headed to your gate, and I don't recognize the car. So I'm up there standing by the gate, and the guy pulls up. He said, geez, how did you know I was coming? I said, my neighbor called me. He says, wow, that's cool. I really feel safe here. And that's the way it is, and that's the way this country used to be. And it's not going to be like that anymore. We're headed to communism. Well, uh, you know, I went down to Tennessee for the nationalist conference that was there at the state park a, a few weeks ago. As I was driving back, uh, my truck actually broke down in Marion, Virginia, and I had to abandon it there for a few weeks. But, uh, you know, I got to know some of the people at the auto body shop, uh, spent some time with them, and they're just good, you know, small-town country people. And they share a lot of the same beliefs that we have and that we wanted to talk about at Unite the Right. 
Uh, and they, they didn't know hardly anything about it but what had been reported in the media. And I think that's the reason that the media has worked so hard to take the, this imagery that is uh, unpopular in America or very controversial uh, and associate it with the rally rather than talking about the ideas or talk to me directly about what has happened. You know, I mean, it's still amazing to me when, uh, when we're talking about Unite the Right Two, which uh, by far is like the most clean-cut um, uh, pro-white demonstration you know, promotion-wise, you could possibly have. So what I've seen is like thehill.com will uh, post pictures of the Ku Klux Klan rally from July 8th in Charlottesville there to say, here is Unite the Right Two coming. And then there's these guys like um, wearing Klan robes, sick hiling and stuff. And I'm like, you got to wonder, is it just malicious that they're trying to rile up these Antifa or rile up the black people in D.C. to think that, you know, they're about to have some guys coming out in robes and, and doing all this stuff? Or do the media people themselves not even know? Or, or when, you know, like there's one guy out of who knows how many people, like hundreds, potentially a thousand or more uh, people, one guy with a swastika flag, but yet, that picture of this guy, who I never even saw on this day, is the front page picture for just about, you know, over half of the articles on the Charlottesville rally. So it, it's – these media people, uh, they want uh, anybody who is just a, a normal American from hometown USA and the, the normal values that they've grown up with to be ashamed of their values that were taught to them by their parents and to associate it with uh, being a Nazi or being a Klansman or whatever, but we're getting down to some very fundamental values of being an American and being a white American that they're trying to make us ashamed of and take away from us without even making us part of the discussion. Exactly. And it's happened over and over and over again. It's getting worse. I mean, it's escalating to the point that it's like, a, you know, it's an exponential expansion of the denial of our rights. So what can I say? It's really, really All nice. right, we got, a, we got a question. Frank in North Carolina. Are you there, hey, Good please? morning. Hey. I am here. Good morning. Yeah. Hey, I had a, a question for uh, Jason Kessler. He brought up a point of interest for me. Um, you know, we, we, I, I grew up in the 70s. Um, and, and 80s, you know, always hearing, and then, and then you know, in subsequent decades, always hearing that the civil rights uh, movement, you know, by the uh, quote-unquote African-American community was always peaceful. And, you know, since then, you know, starting about, you know, 12 years ago when I started looking into it and listening to other perspectives, you know, I, I remember hearing that, well, no, actually, that's not true. Violence followed wherever the civil rights, you know, speakers went. People like um, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, I'm sorry, I forget what his real name was. But uh, anyway, um, you know, that the violence followed wherever he went. And they, they, they've kind of like uh, gone back and whitewashed all that. And, and, and basically taught all the white children that, no, you know, he, it was always peaceful. And then you always see, you know, the cops, it looks like they're uh, being overly aggressive, you know, against these poor blacks that are just standing up for their rights. But, you know, as you become wiser, you, you begin to look at it and think, well, wait a minute, what were those blacks just doing before the police turned the hose on them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There was a lot of violence. And uh, I read a, a great article in the Washington Post, which was titled something like, Don't Condemn Black Lives Matter for Provoking Violence. Martin Luther King did it too. And it explicitly talks about Martin Luther King's strategy, which uh, in a lot of cases, he would go to a city in the South where he was hated by the government officials, kind of like United Right did with Charlottesville. But what he did, I think, was strategically smarter than what a lot of us ended up doing. He went there 
without being armed, and he allowed himself and his supporters to get beat up or harassed by the cops. And then um, at that time, he was very, very unpopular with the American public. But <clears throat> I guess that the photographs and, and the media coverage that came out of that made it seem very one-sided, and like he, his people were the oppressed, and they were being oppressed by the police, and it created this uh, narrative about uh, white supremacist cops that you know proliferates to this day. And because of that great uh, propaganda that King was able to get uh, by going into these towns where he was unpopular, uh, you know, it's completely shifted the perception of him. You're right, to the point where uh, this very violent era of uh, racial strife and tension in our country has been whitewashed so that Martin Luther King's career is like an immaculate conception where he just descended from the sky and said, uh, you know, I have a dream, and then everybody lived in peace there ever after. And it wasn't like that. You know, there were many people like the Black Panthers uh, in that same milieu, and they were killing police officers, and they were starting riots, and it was the fear of the Black Panthers which sort of, by contrast, made Martin Luther King's offer of relative peace seem like the, uh, the more reasonable solution. So I think that um, white advocates would be very, very wise to uh, learn from these strategies because they were effective strategies and um, history is written by the victors and so these people won. Their strategies um, uh, uh, of winning hearts and minds through propaganda won. So we need to do the same thing. All right, that's all I got. Thank you. Thanks, Frankie. You can move on. Are we still there, Robert? Oh, am, I, am I on? Yeah, somebody's on. Go ahead. Gentlemen, uh, thank you for the show. I'm, uh, I'm so happy that you got it back on the air, Father Francis. Well done. Well, you can, t you can thank Robert for that. I mean, I, I asked to have it done, but Robert was the one who put it together. Don't forget, I'm an old guy that doesn't really know much about computers, and I've been chastised this morning uh, early before the show that I need to get a, a better phone because I need to come into the modern age. And it's the lady that told me, that I think she's a little bit older than me. She's right around my age at least. And she's got all these modern things. So I listen to what people say. I do have the phone, which is just a matter of getting it hooked up. I have an iPhone that I can publicly give out my uh, phone number, and people can contact me direct by phone. I'll, and I'll put it out there on the air. I'm uh, I'm not I'm not far from your age, Father Francis. So <clears throat> I hear you. And then my my um, comment w w would be this: having watched um, the Charlottesville first uh, uh, event on Periscope as much as I could before it all went down, and with Jason bringing it into the realm of white civil rights. Uh, with hindsight being 2020, had had everyone, when they were given the order to leave the park, sat down and allowed themselves to be peacefully arrested by the police officers, rather than marching out into the teeth of those rotten, dirty bums, the police would have had a hell of a problem on their hands. Number one, yeah, exactly. each person, each person would have had to been removed handcuffed, and processed, one by one. That would have kept Antifa outside the park, you guys inside the park. It all would have been very civil, and it would have been in keeping what Jason is trying to do right now. So with that thought, perhaps going forward, should the F hit the fan unexpectedly, uh, that might be a good tactic. There's, there are all good tactics. That's a good suggestion. And, and uh, one of our ladies suggested, like last year in Crossville, when we were denied access to the restaurant, that we should have went in and sat down on the ground and linked arms and sung some sort of freedom song to, to force them to arrest us. What could they arrest us for? Doing exactly what Martin Luther King did? And I think... Uh, Michael I think King. Yeah, okay. Michael King. 
Yeah, exactly. That was the name that Frank couldn't remember before, I think. And uh, that's a, that would be a good tactic. There's a lot of good tactics. And it, it, just, you know, just from an organizer standpoint, I would say you, you just got to make sure that you have a coherent strategy because with Unite the Right, there were so many people and there were so many different groups. And and as far as um, you know, like what they were going to do on that day, I don't think that they were all that united, really. There's too many people with different ideas and um, how they wanted to present themselves. So you can't have people who are out in the streets and fighting and then have the people who are laying down. I mean, I guess you could, but it would be better if you had uh, everybody that was going to agree with the nonviolence strategy and with the civil disobedience as you're saying. So I think, um, you know, people have been looking at Portland and the Patriot Prayer people. And one of the things that I like about them is not necessarily that it's becoming a street fight uh, like some of these other protests are, but I think that these people have a lot of loyalty to one another. They're on the same page. And uh, when they, they hold their rallies, it's about a group of friends getting together even before it's about the political thing. So they trust one another. And that is something that is really, really hard to come by in this political stuff. So, yeah, if you want to do a demonstration like that, find a group of friends who are dedicated to this thing like you are. Uh, pick your civil disobedience strategy and where you want to have it and do it. And if what you're doing works, you will get more and more people. It's like uh, when you start throwing parties, and then people know uh, you become known for your great parties, and then you get people who uh, want to hang out, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger each time. Well, like Father Francis said, given our age, myself and, and him, we distinctly remember the pictures, and they were vivid pictures of black people being dragged out of these restaurants, being dragged through the streets and thrown into paddy wagons to be arrested for simply demonstrating. It was a powerful, whether you, it was a very powerful image and it rocked the country. And I'm not saying what I'm saying. It, hello? You're Where's here. Okay. Yeah, okay. you're still on. Yeah, I'm not saying my, 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 uh, thought is, uh, you know, something that should be uh, taken up. You guys are doing it. You guys do what you need to do. But those images were the beginning of the end of uh, segregation, frankly. And, and, and yep. that, that, that is something that you could possibly think about. So Yeah, you've got to be able to reach people's hearts. I think you're absolutely right is those kind of photographs showing – um, these civil rights people in a sympathetic light change public perception, and with public perception, they change the laws, and, they, and then they change the economics, and everything about the country has been transformed by some photographs, for instance, as you say. Yeah. And so I think that uh, pro-white people or the alt-right or whatever comes after the alt-right really needs to start thinking differently because I think we're thinking uh, too aggressive in a way. Um, too much like we need to use a show of like force or strength, and that's not the way. That's actually going to hurt us because uh, what the media is doing is they're making us seem like we are inherently violent, nasty, hateful people. So we need to do the opposite of that. And if you had – look, there's a lot of people, if they're branded as a white supremacist or whatever it is they're calling us these days, they're not allowed to go into this restaurant or into that restaurant. I guarantee you just about every restaurant in the downtown mall in Charlottesville wouldn't allow me to sit down and eat a sandwich. They would probably drag me out of there. And so instead of just running and hiding and being scared the way that people are, they've got to get beyond that. Now is the time to fight back. The demographics are just going to keep changing so there's less of us and less of us. If not now, when? The time to fight back is now. We don't need to fight back with Jason. our fists. We need to fight back in a way that wins people's hearts. Jason, why, why don't we make, make use of that? They are watching you, following you, and let's get some people together and protect you in a public place. Yeah, it would be really interesting to do, go into some uh, you know, yeah. restaurant which wouldn't serve 
someone like me or people Protect like us, right? Protect your speech. Let's make a rally out of that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Let's right. predict that. Exactly. Well, that's You're a flipping big... the script. You're flipping yeah. the script. It's important to flip it. Flip it back on them. Exactly. You know they're going to do that to you. They're following you. They're waiting for you to show up, and they scream you and shout you down, and you're there by yourself. Bingo. If you, if you would plan ahead, we could show up, somebody close to you, wherever you are, we'll make this a big event, and it will turn the tide on them, turn the tables on them. Yeah, I think that that's a, a good idea. I mean, I like it. We just have to think about uh, where we'd want to do it, plan it off the air. Uh, this is not the kind of thing you could plan on the air, but, yeah, I think it's a good idea. Part of the issue that um, uh, white activists are facing right now is that we need to humble ourselves. You know, I mean, you read the Bible, a lot of times it tells you the, mo- the most important quality is humility. So the rules which allow us to be successful within this very litigious, uh, rule-oriented society we call America have already been defined by these civil rights people. So yes, flip the script. If it works for black people, it should work for white people. And it's not just a hollow, facile, um, or simple uh, analogy. White people really are being oppressed right now. There are lots of restaurants that we couldn't go into. There are lots of places will they, where they won't hire you if they know that you stand up for white people. There are media outlets that will mercilessly smear you and attack your family. And, I mean, it's every bit as vicious as anything any black person went through in the 1960s. I guarantee you that. And here's the key. Here's the key, and it goes against every fiber in our bodies for the most part, given the way we've grown up and such. But the more peaceful, the more peaceful this, this is done the more sympathy it'll generate. Yes, exactly. And we've, I, I do agree with uh, some of the stuff that's, that's come out uh, after Charlottesville, people saying, you know, stick to uh, Americana. I, I think it's very important for us to stick to American flags, Confederate flags, things that, you know, bind us together with this land. You know, the, these are not foreign symbols. These are our symbols, and these are symbols that, Everyday people who get up every morning, strap on their shoes, fix the cars, uh, you know, sell us our groceries, you know, build our houses. These are symbols that mean something to these people. And they, uh, they know what it is to be an American, and they see how the elites are trying to change that. They, they, you know, maybe 20 years ago they're building houses, and it's all people from their community that they grew up with and went to church with. And now... There's these companies of pe- people who don't even speak English coming in and uh, undercutting them and taking their jobs from them, and that's not America. Exactly right, and you're not going to continue to have America. If it keeps going, just to, everybody out there, every single person in this country, whether it be black people, white people, American Indians, if the, the white majority loses its control to influence things in this country, this country will go right down the tube. That's what's going to happen. So it's in the best interest of, of the black people in this country to maintain the demographic balance that we have right now, or even to go back to where it used to be. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, you know, black people were doing just fine. And, and now, if we keep letting this... I never even saw a Mexican person in my life before 1979, and that was in New Jersey. The first Mexican I saw was when I moved to South Florida. Now, you can't go anywhere without seeing scores of Mexicans. Not around here, pretty much not around here, but in places like where I grew up, North New Jersey, in and around North New Jersey and New York City, uh, South Florida is like, wow, you know. Okay, we got one more caller before we finish. You want to try yeah, let's bring them on. We got until 10.05, and then I want to get out of Don's way. Okay, another anonymous. Hurry up, right, because we're almost is, over. All right, this is Al from Alabama. I think one okay. problem we're going to have with Australia, it's a good strategy. Violets would not get us anywhere, but they're defeated. But the problem is the blacks had the Jewish mafia media on their side. We got them against us, so it's going to be hard for us to ever get any good press. 
that's the first problem. Second thing I wanted to ask Jason, though, are we going to try to have it back in the same park in, in Charlottesville? Well, there are two rallies. The main one that I'm focusing on is in Washington, D.C., and that's in Lafayette Square right outside the White House. Now, if I win the preliminary injunction motion that is being heard on uh, the 24th, yes, it will be in the same park. Uh, it, but this is going to be a, a very different rally. It's going to be a much smaller rally because, I mean, what, two weeks is not enough time to plan a rally. Uh, especially one that had as many complications as the one last year did. So it's going to be very small, symbolic, but yes, it's got to be in the same park. Uh, that's, that's the whole bit of symbolism, is that that park is a public park and is one of the most sacred uh, free speech zones in America. Those are public forums, and they're supposed to be protected for political dissidents to be able to air their grievances with the government. And the government of Charlottesville, by emboldening these violent Antifa groups, has tried to strip that away from us. That's why it's so important that we do something in that city, in that park, on that date. How are we going to carry our flags if we can't have poles to put them on? I'm I'm not familiar with all the new rules that uh, they have created. I know that I put in my application for that event uh, before the, they had created these new rules, so I'll have to ask my attorney about whether uh, or not we're, we're able to bring polls. I mean, uh, I, I signed a consent decree saying, you know, I want to organize people to carry shields and sticks and so forth, but a, a poll, you know, that a flag is attached to is – this is a free speech, you know, item. So l let me not give you an answer on that right now because I don't know the answer. But if you go to the rally website, www.unitetherightrally.com, you'll see a link where you can sign up for the email list. I would encourage everybody who wants to attend to sign up for that email list. And as soon as I get an answer on whether we're able to bring polls uh, along with the flags, I'll send that out. But I find it very hard to believe that it's, uh, it passes constitutional muster, that you couldn't carry like a, a sign that's attached to a stick or you can't carry a, a pole that's attached to a flag. That's an inhibition of free speech rights. Well, I know exactly. in the, uh, the regular head Georgia, okay, that you could only bring Let's a, call, let's call it there. Okay. Yeah, we're running into Don show. Jason, come back next week? Sure. One day, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And everybody come back tomorrow? Going to close yeah, it up we'll, here. Yeah, we don't want to run into Don's show with Jason. Thanks again for coming on, and I'll coordinate with you to figure out the date that's best for you to come on next week. All right, take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, guys. Bye, y'all.